Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 178 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Regina Honu. Regina Honu is the CEO of Soronko Solutions, a technology company. She runs the first coding and human-centered design school in West Africa for children and adults called Soronko Academy. The Academy is part of Soronko Foundation, which has trained over 6,500 women and girls and has expanded to train boys, men, deaf and autistic children. She was awarded the 2018 AFS Active Global Citizen Award for her contributions to global competence education and a winner of the Challenging Norms, Powering Economies Initiative by Ashoka, UN Women and Open Society Foundations for work to challenge gender norms in women's economic empowerment. He's also been ranked one of the top 50 CEOs in Ghana. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss Regina's experience founding the first coding and human-centered design school in West Africa. We'll get Regina's insights and perspective on social innovation opportunities. And we'll hear what Regina believes can be done to best prepare our youth for future challenges. So Regina, it's a pleasure to be talking. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you so much, Tom, for having me. So to kick things off, Regina, could you please share a little bit about your background and what led you to working in the social enterprise and education sectors? So um, I grew up in Accra, Ghana, in West Africa. And I mean, I grew up to a middle-class family. My mother is a trader, so she sells things in the market. My father is an entrepreneur also and has doubled in different business enterprises, but now he um, he's a, he sells internet, so he's an internet service provider. Okay. And growing up, um, for me, I, I just, I was a very curious, you know, um, child, but growing up in Ghana at the time, the way girls were socialized is, you know, there's a proverb that um, a child must be seen and not heard. So a good girl was one that did as she was told. You know, she um, mm. followed all the instructions and, you know, we weren't even socialized to speak up about our opinions, you know, express ourselves. So you just had to be agreeable and likable. Um, and as a child, I remember there were several things that shaped um, the person that I, or the woman that I am today. The first one was, you know, I was very interested in science and technology, um, but I had never traveled. And I saw... I watched a movie and a man was able to fly with a rocket strapped on his back. So I thought everything on TV at the time was riddle. So I thought I can design my own rocket. So I draw a prototype, take it to my teacher who says, it's impossible, girls don't build rockets and I'll end up in the kitchen. Oh. Now, when he said that, <laughs> when he said that, um, at first I thought, okay, he doesn't know what he's talking about because I saw it on TV. 
but he actually, in effect, kind of shelved my rocket building aspirations. You know, mm. I could have, had he nurtured me, I could have been a rocket scientist. Yeah. Um, and then, um, just based on what your interests were, there were like the three premium careers, like every Ghanaian parent wanted their child to do at the time, which was doctor, lawyer, um, and I think either pilot or engineer. Um, so because I was good in science and math, it was like, oh, you're going to be a doctor. But my father brought on a computer. I played a game called Pac-Man. I fell in love with it, and I wanted to change um, Pac-Man. Um, and so I learned that I had to learn how to code. But once again, when I expressed interest in um, becoming a computer scientist, I was told, you know, coding and technology is for boys. It's very difficult. But after I had been told that I couldn't, you know, become a rocket scientist. When I heard it the second time around, I was like, I'm tired of being told as a woman what I can and cannot do. Mm. I mean, I want to be able to do anything. Uh, and so I went on to um, university to study computer science. At university, there were three ladies in my computer science class. And my first programming language was called Visual Basic. Um, and I failed that class. So... I was, you know, on my way to change my course because I was like, okay, everything everybody was saying must be true. I mean, I can't even take the first class. But then I decided that, no, that cannot be my attitude. I can't give up my first try at something that I really wanted to do and, and something that I had defended um, so much that I can't do. So I decided to go back and then study harder. And that's what I did till I fell in love with, um, with programming and computing. But prior to that, you know, when I was in high school, I got the opportunity to go on an exchange program in Norway with AFS. Um, and while I was in Norway, I also took a science class because I, I love science and technology. But what was interesting was back home in Ghana, you know, we, we, we just memorized formulas and we memorized past questions. So I can draw a very advanced electrical circuit, but if you give me two wires and a bulb, I'll just be looking at you like, what's supposed to happen here? So everything was so theory, and, and we lacked a practical application of what was going on. Mm. So when I took my science class in Norway, I couldn't apply. I remember even the teacher there was asking me, like, am I really doing science back home in Ghana? Because I was missing that practical application, um, and that was what was required in my class. So when I came back home, I started to ask more questions. I was like, oh, when they say osmosis is the flow of water from an upward to a downward motion through a semi-permeable membrane, what does that mean? You know, and, and people would say, oh, you know, I think I've traveled and I'm holding the class back with my thousand and one questions. Um, but I kind of kept wanting to not take things at face value and dig deeper. So when I went into corporate Ghana after university. I started working while I was in university. And when I went, um, I got my first job in my third year in university. So I, I was financially independent. So yeah. I stopped taking an allowance from my parents and I started um, being able to pay um, for things myself. Um, and when I graduated, I continued to work and I worked also in two banks. So I felt that um, everything was going to be linear, like hard work equals results. But also the other thing was while I was working in one of the banks, I got the opportunity to go to Microsoft um, to be interviewed in Redmond um, in Seattle. And in the process, I was thinking, obviously, it would be amazing to work at Microsoft. It would be like a dream come true. Mm. But if I left and I went to Microsoft, I, I mean, I always wanted to stay in Ghana. I'm in love with Ghana. I, um, I want to make Ghana better. And I heard of this phenomenon called the brain drain, 
where the best and the brightest um, Ghanaians were leaving. So I thought, no, I mean, Microsoft is amazing, but how would I be contributing to um, making a big change? And, and I really wanted to fix my country. I wanted to make my country better. And I wanted to make the situation for women and girls better um, in Ghana. So even after that experience, when I came back, I started to really think about what I could do towards social impact. But I didn't have any guidance, you know, and even just based on my socialization, I was scared. I was scared to step out of my comfort zone. So I continued to work. But I always say that, you know, it's like when you have a burning desire, you can put like a snooze button on your alarm, but it's going to ring. <laughs> so I kept thinking, how can I really make a change? You know, how can I really um, bring development? And for me, I saw that from the way our educational system was so based on words memorization, it was going to be so difficult for us to be able to solve our own problems if we didn't have that critical thinking and problem-solving yeah. ability, which is essential. Um, and if we didn't have the skill set, then we would always either be dependent on governments or aid. Um, and so people, I mean, in Ghana, for example, the rains always come, there are always floods, and then people lose lives, property, and every year is the same thing. Because people are not thinking, okay, what can we do differently this year? Mm. How can we prepare better for what we know is going to happen? Yeah. You know, um, and people just kind of say, oh, we are expecting that governments come and do something. Or people will say, oh, we're expecting aid organizations to come and help us. But that mindset needs to change. Yeah. And it needs to be, how can I solve this problem? What are the resources that I have? Um, how can I bring this and this together? So for me, I was really driven to, I mean, it may sound a little cliche, but to just make Ghana better and to, and to really push and change that narrative. Because I was tired of that single story of Africa, you know, the yeah. war, poverty, disease. Like, we can also make amazing innovations for the rest of the world. We don't always have to rely on the developed nations. We, as a developing nation, can also create innovation and we can use technology to really help us leapfrog our infrastructure challenge. Absolutely. It's a fascinating story, Regina. And so I'm curious to hear a little bit more then in your role as CEO at Soronko Solutions then, how are you using this organisation to create that change in Ghana that you're talking about? I'm using Soronko in a different way. So the first one is advocacy. Um, and what we do is we've done a lot of um, sort of changing narratives and then presenting the solution. So our approach to advocacy is presenting people what the solution is going to be. So before we start, you know, we have an engagement with different community leaders. We use social media and offline media. We use radio, we use newspapers, we use face-to-face interaction of showing that, number one, it's possible to empower women and girls to use technology and it's possible to showcase what they can do once they are empowered with technology skills. The other thing is also training. So for us, it's developing that skill set and changing that mindset. Fantastic. So then what have what have been some of your biggest challenges then in, in leading Soronko and, and how have you navigated your way around them? Yes. So um, some of the big challenges, the first one we had to deal with was mindset and was convincing parents um, that girls women and girls could learn how to code, could learn how to create technology, and convincing them on why it's important. Um, so we do a lot of work on that side, and, and that's one of the big challenges. 
And what, what we're doing now is we're actually working on a radio program about technology in local language because we realize that for majority of the parents and the community, and the reason why they are, um, it's very difficult for them to understand why it's important is because they don't really understand you know, all this technology and digital innovation once it is presented in English. Um, so if we break it down in local language and help them to really understand what's going on, then it would be better for them and it will help change mindsets. Another challenge that we have is finding trainers. So we would like to expand in terms of the range of courses we offer at the academy, bringing things like AI, data science, IoT, and all the latest technologies. But the challenge we have sometimes is difficult to find somebody who is skilled in the subject matter and can teach. Teaching is an art form. You know, it's, um, you may be knowledgeable about something, but being able to transfer that knowledge is something that you should be able to do well. Um, so finding that balance can also be a challenge for us. And then finally, I think the other challenge is trying to connect with more opportunities. So for us, we need to build up the confidence. So the soft skills is very important. So we don't only teach digital and technical skills, but we also teach soft skills, confidence, leadership, how to take an interview, how to start a business. All those are essential tools that are needed once you've gotten the digital and technical tools to be able to support you to realize or achieve any dream or opportunity that comes your way. Mm, it's some fantastic advice and, and, uh, and insights there, Regina. And I think particularly valuable for our younger generations as well. So as a speaker then at this year's Social Enterprise World Forum, which is going to be held in Ethiopia in October, what are you most looking forward to about the event? So I'm looking forward to a couple of things. And um, first, I'm looking forward to the conversations and the panels and the discussions um, of like-minded people within the space. Um, and I'm looking forward also to the networks you know, and the engagement. I'm hoping that after all the different panels and conversations that we'll have, I mean, the next actionable steps is, will be how can we come together and collaborate? And because I know there are several organizations doing amazing things, some at similar links. So the question is, how do we come together and build a bigger spark? So how do we bring our resources and efforts together? So I'm looking also, I mean, for, for, to be able to learn new things, but also meet people within the space and then talk about collaborations and, and how we can work together. Yeah, it's going to be such an exciting experience and so many great people in, in the one place. So, yes. so how, how then, Regina, have you seen the social enterprise sector transform and change over the last five years or so in Africa? So I would say even if you take, like, let's say, moving even from Ghana to the rest of, of the continent, and in Ghana, for example, we're seeing a rise in social enterprises, especially um, within young people, who are looking to do well and also do good. And um, so young people are driven by not just you know, making, turning a profit, but understanding how they can solve a problem. And on the continent, um, since we have many different problems, it's refreshing and exciting to see um, different people within the continent and others coming onto the continent to bring a twist um, and try and solve these problems. Some um, solve the problems and make a profit, which is great. Others who are focused on doing a deeper dive um, and really getting to the root cause. Another interesting trend is that we have organizations that are doing their corporate social responsibility differently and are looking to partner with you know, social enterprises on the ground who are, 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 are making progress and making impact. 
And I think finally, we're seeing governments and policymakers also kind of tuning in and plugging in to understand, like, okay, what do they need to change on the policy side? How can they complement the efforts you know, of social enterprise organizations? So um, I think generally, I mean, it's an upward motion. We're seeing more numbers within people studying social enterprises, but also more collaboration between governments and bigger and international organizations, and, and also like more discussions on policy change. Hmm. That sounds like a really exciting time then. So what advice would you give to the aspiring social entrepreneurs out there who are doing their absolute best to create some positive impact? So my first advice is don't give up um, because when you're working in a social enterprise space, it can be a challenge as with any other space. And sometimes um, there may be things that you will um, encounter and challenges that will come in different shapes and forms. So keep going. The other advice is to track your impact and your progress. I mean, have data that shows, you know, really um, the impact of the work that you're doing. So don't just sort of say, oh, I'm doing this way. But make sure that you're intentional about gathering data and tracking your impact and sustaining that impact. Also, make sure that your follow-up is key. And finally, collaborate and work together. I mean, you are not an island. There are several people and organizations who need to help. So don't try and do too much by yourself, but look at how you also bring different stakeholders on board so that you can go back. That's fantastic advice, Regina. So then what, what inspiring projects or initiatives have you come across that are driven perhaps by, by social entrepreneurs that are taking some of that advice you're talking about and creating some of that big positive social change? So there's several. I mean, um, there's one lady that I'm really proud of. Uh, she is working with autistic children and she's created an app. Um, it's called the Autism App and the organization is called Autism Aid Ambassadors. And, and she's really making... Um, impact within the autism space for children in Ghana. Um, there's another organization in, I think, in Nigeria that I think it's we we trash that converts trash to cash. And um, there are several organizations and um, go on and on across the continent that are really sort of deep diving into problems and coming up with innovative ways of solving them and, and tracking that impact and then having that transparency. So I'm very excited each time I hear of people across the continent doing amazing things within the social enterprise space. Yeah, it sounds like there's a ton of examples there. It'll be great to explore some of them at the World Forum. So to finish off then, what books would you recommend to our listeners? Books. <laughs> That's a good question. Let me see. Um, hmm. What I do recommend is that you... You start a Google Alerts um, for topics that you are interested in. So that's what I do. So I have a Google Alert for areas of interest. And then each time there's a trending topic or a very important discussion or an article or a blog, I get that here on my alerts and then I can follow and then go and That sounds like a great way to get some good information, Regina. So. I'd just like to thank you again for, for sharing your generous insights and time today. You've shared some great experience and it'll be great to meet you in person over in Ethiopia in October. Thank you so much, Tom. I look forward to meeting you all. Thanks, Regina. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact 
every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter. Thank you.